Oh, gracious God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, we know that so much of a relation, having a relationship with you isn't always just about what we see with our eyes, but rather what we feel with our inner parts. Lord, we pray that this morning we would feel your presence in our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, there is a song, and, and I don't know if it's a song or if it's a quote, but I, I heard it in a, in a more contemporary song, and there is a line in this song that says this, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And it's the idea that you go to heaven after you die, and I know we have a theological problem with that, but it's just a good line. I, this morning, I want to encourage you, or I want to challenge you with a new line or a different saying. It's everybody wants to see God, but very few will do what it takes to actually see Him. Everybody, all of us, I think even people who don't believe would like the chance at seeing God if He exists to them, right? But it's very difficult to actually be able to see God. At least that's what we think, right? How many of you have ever actually seen God right in front of you and spoken to God face to face? Very few or none. <laughs> And so the question that I want us to explore and the question that I want us to think about this morning is, can we really see God? So I need to stop for a second. Are you guys hearing the loudness in my, in my ear? It's just me. I think it's this, it's this. There we go. Is that, there we go. Thank you, guys. I'm really weird about that. Um, so the question that I want to explore this morning is, can we really see God? Okay, so just have that question in your mind, and I'm going to take you through a series of passages and a series of thoughts before we, we try to come to an answer with that question. But if you're a Christian or if you've ever heard of Christians or whatever it is, you've probably heard in some way or form the two passages that you see behind me. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and in everything you do, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets, which is Jesus' way of saying all of the entire Bible is summed up into this. If you've been a Christian, if you've been a Seventh-day Adventist for any length of time, you have heard these passages. Both of these passages are true. Both of these passages are essential to our faith. And yet what I think happens sometimes is we ignore these verses in the Bible oftentimes. How many times have you found yourself being angry towards somebody and instead of acting in a loving and kind way, instead you do the exact opposite? It's very hard for us as Christians to live these verses out. It's harder than following the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? It's loving your others as you would like to be treated is, I would say, harder than all of the law and all of the prophets in the Old Testament. We can love the people that we like, but if you've ever been married, you know you don't always like your spouse or your children. I love my kids always. <laughs> Sometimes they bug me. <laughs> no, just kidding. But it's very easy to ignore these passages because we resort to our own carnal nature. And what happens is when somebody does something hurtful to us, when somebody does something that is um, harmful or hurtful to us, our initial or natural inclination is to respond with the same kind of attitude towards them or even bring it back to them tenfold. Isn't that correct? How many of you have ever been in an argument or disagreed with somebody or somebody said something about you, the first initial reaction we have is to say something back to that person that might even be more hurtful. And so these passages are true and they should be essential to our faith, but it's easy to ignore them. 
To love your neighbor as yourself isn't just to love the person that lives next door to you, which is difficult at times. Trust me, I know. But Jesus wasn't just thinking about a track home and he's saying to love the person to the left and to the right of you. But when Jesus says love your neighbor, Jesus is saying love every single person that you come in contact with. Treat that person the way you would like to be treated. To love your neighbor as yourself should probably be said you shall love every single person that you come in contact with as you love yourself. And when we look at Matthew 7, 12, where it says, do everything to others as you would have them do unto you. It's the golden rule. Treat everyone, especially the ones you don't want to, the way you would like to be treated. So it doesn't count when you treat the people you like well. It doesn't count. I mean, it counts, but not really. When it really counts is when you have to love someone and treat someone with love that hasn't been kind to you. That is a true mark of Christianity, to love, to accept, and to forgive. If we can truly grasp that, then I think you have grasped the essence of what grace is. To truly be gracious towards others is to have accepted and understood the grace that God has for you. To not be gracious towards others as much as you can preach grace is to have not accepted or understood it. That is the truth. So we read these passages and they don't become a part of who we are. Now, I said that this morning is, is part two of our vision series for Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church. Where God is moving us, part one was what? Love Love God. Part two is love others. Love others. But this is about so much more than just loving our neighbors. But I want to show you these passages because it's going to make sense in just a few moments. So I want to take you to the next passage in Scripture in Romans chapter 12. Remember, love others as you love yourself and treat others the way you would like to be treated. And then this is what Paul has to say. And I really wish this passage in Scripture wasn't there. Can't be honest with you. This is one of those passages that I've come to time and time again in my life, and I just think to myself, Paul, you could have done without this passage. Because look at what he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with others. If it is possible, oh, I already had that. Beloved, verse 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been hurt by somebody, conned by somebody, attacked by somebody. But if you have, our initial reaction is to retaliate, correct? For the most part, most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, is to retaliate. Nobody wants to turn the other cheek. Nobody wants to just walk the other way. Nobody, nobody wants to treat somebody kindly who has been unkind to them. And yet what we find in the Scripture and what Jesus says in his own words and what Paul will later echo in the book of Romans is bless those who persecute you, bless them, and do not curse them. In other words, Jesus is saying do not fall into the patterns of this world. 
The patterns of this world is to retaliate, to get back, to get even, right? In movies, you often see that, what is the one line when it talks about revenge? Revenge is best served cold. Which is another way of saying you just do it and it doesn't matter what you feel. You just do it because that person has to pay. And yet what we find in the scriptures and what we find is defining characteristics of someone who truly believes and follows Jesus is that we don't do that. Because to do that is to live unchrist-like. Jesus could have fought his way out of being crucified, but Jesus lays down his life. And at the moment before he is led up to Mount, to the Calvary, to the, to the place of the skull, to Golgotha, what does Jesus say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. I want to challenge you that the next time somebody does something hurtful, the next time someone says something hurtful, or is just, just mean, to pray for them, to bless them, forgive them. I know that's hard. I know that's hard. And yet to truly be a Christian, to truly be somebody who follows Christ, is to do the very things that Jesus did. It is to not repay evil for evil, but take, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. It's not just what you think is right, but what is noble to all. The next part of this passage, it says, no, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I know that um, we like to use this part of the text, verse, um, verse 20, that says, by doing good, you heap burning coals. Let's not, let's not, we should take that part out. Because we should do good because the love of God compels us to be good. The love of God compels us to be kind. This is a, I think maybe in God's ultimate knowledge, like, okay, this is a little bit of revenge I'm going to give you. Be really nice to them and they'll feel bad, you know? It's like, thanks, Jesus. But God calls us to bless others no matter what. You know, when you bless somebody and are kind to somebody and love somebody that has been unkind to you, it changes who you are. What happens is, and here, here's the process we go through. Somebody says something mean to me or hurtful or whatever, my initial reaction is to go after them. But I have to take a step back and say, no, Jesus wouldn't like that. Jesus wouldn't do that. And after all, going after somebody, is that where it ends? Or do they come back and forth, back? and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Violence never ends violence. Violence only begets more violence. War only begets more war. Violence is never the answer. I tell my kids, don't use violence. You know how kids sometimes fight. Yeah, they, my kids have their moments. And I'll tell them, do you really think that by saying that, you're actually going to end it? It's just going to spur her on to say something else. I said, and it will never end, or you can just take a step back and not say anything at all. Jesus knows what he's talking about. God knows what he's saying through his word and scripture. Jesus knows that if there are more people in this world who bless others, this world will be a better place. Jesus is calling you to a higher standard of living. 
You see, we've often thought that the higher standard that God is calling us to live by is just to be healthier, to abstain from certain foods and certain um, drinks, to dress a certain way, to go to church on certain days. We always thought that God was calling us to a different kind of standard, and those things are important. But it is so much harder to live the way of Romans 12. It is way more difficult to love people when they are unlovable. It is way more difficult to bless people who have cursed you than to just do all of the external laws. It's harder. And I think what we do as human beings is that we focus on the stuff that's external so people can see that, oh, look, he's a good Christian man or a good Christian woman. But I am challenging you this morning that as God has challenged us to Scripture, try to live by the more difficult way of life, which is to love and be kind and forgive and care for people. That's hard. You see, Christianity, it's not heavy, but it is pretty hard sometimes. And that's okay. Because Jesus knows that when we live into the more difficult way of loving others, actually our life will be fulfilled in such a deeper way. Jesus loved unconditionally no matter what. So when we come to the second part of our series, to love others, it's not just this nebulous feel-good like, oh yeah, hey, Let's love everybody. Let's treat each other kindly at church. But then we walk out and we talk about each other behind our, their backs. To love others is to do the difficult task of forgiving and reaching out and blessing every single person. This is where we get to the second part of our, of our love others vision. It says, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. The reason that the Bible has so much to say about how to treat others is because as 1 John chapter 4.12 tells us is that when we love one another, God is manifested in our midst. Think about that. When you and I truly learn to love one another, the Bible says that God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. And in essence, if God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us, in one way, we actually get to see God in our midst. The reason this is a part of our vision of the church here is because we want to be a community of people, of not that just love well, but a community where God is present. We want to love God but more importantly, when we love one another, when we love our families, our children, our spouses, our parents, when we learn to love people and treat them as Romans 12 has taught us to, God is present in our midst. Think about it. Some people say, God is not in our home. Things are just horrible. And so you've got to ask them, well, are you, do you love each other? Are you forgiving? Are you kind to each other? Do you take the time to talk to each other? And oftentimes they'll be like, well, we're so busy, we don't have time to talk. And I said, that's the whole point. God manifests himself in a powerful way when you truly love each other and work and do the hard work of loving. For those of you who are single, love is not an emotion, but love is actually the thing you work at every single day. Amen? People who are married, does marriage take work? Does love take work? Amen. <laughs> the same thing in the relationships that we have within the church and outside the church. 
we can make God present in places that are not even in this church, but in every interaction you have at work, in the grocery store, at the gas station, wherever you go, you bring the presence of God when you love someone unconditionally. Did you know that? That's powerful to know that you have the ability to make God's presence felt. And I would say that the opposite is true. You also have the ability to make the presence of the evil one felt. And it's a choice that you have to make and no one else can make for you. You have to make the choice to make God's presence felt everywhere you go. In John here, it says, um, no one has ever seen God, but if you love, the word for love in the Greek is agape. We use it all the time. Let's have an agape feast or whatever it is, right? But that word is very simply that you love people unconditionally no matter what. So let me give you an example, and I use my own example sometimes because it's the best that I can do. And, and I think one of the best things that God has done for me, for my preaching or for my ministry is to actually have a family of my own. Because as I've said before, I had all sorts of advice to give um, married people and parents, and I did not know what I was talking about, but I do now. You see, the thing is, we don't love other people just because they're lovable. Let me give you, let me, let me break this down to you the best that I can. When I, when I fell in love with Kim, I wanted to marry her. Now, I didn't meet the kids right away because it's not a healthy thing to do, right? You want to make sure that you're going to make it and you're going to last, and at least you're going to get married and give it a shot before you really want to meet the kids because then you don't want, you know, people coming in and out of their lives. I love these kids. I'm in love with these kids. I spend all my time with these kids, okay? They're affectionate. They're awesome kids. I love them. And I love them for who they are now, but at first, I loved them because of my love for their mom. My love for Kim compelled me to love them and to treat them in certain ways. It's the same thing with your relationship with God. If you truly love God, the love for God will compel you to love others. You see how that works? It's not you just love the person that just told you off. It's you love God, and because you love God and you have the relationship with God, that love then in turn compels you to love others. So when you say, oh, but that person, you don't know that person. Yeah, I don't know that person, but I know people like them. And I know how hard it is to love. I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to love everybody. <laughs> and when I don't, you hear about it. <laughs> you know, I mean... I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, not I verbalize it. I'm just saying if I don't act lovingly towards other people, you guys will know, and then everyone will get in trouble. But you guys know what I'm saying. It's never the worth of the person. It's the worth that God has placed on your life and the worth that you give God that then compels you to love other people. So when at Orange we say that we want to love God and love others as a part of our vision, what we're actually saying is that we want to take our relationship we have with God and let it overflow and spill into all of our other earthly relationships, and it looks something like this. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. When you help one another, when you bear one another's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. And it's not just be there for them or, you know, when they need help, but it's be there for them always, whether it's mentally, emotionally, whether you can help physically with some sort of thing. How many of you have ever had to carry a really heavy TV? Yeah. It's not easy, so you always get somebody else to help you. You know, speaking of Father's Day, now my dad's not here. He's at his church um, where they speak Spanish, and he feels more comfortable. 
but I can share this story. I remember as a kid in the summers, um, because the way Mexican families did things is we would go with our parents to work, because my parent, my dad was a janitor. <laughs> he used to clean a church. I spent my whole life in churches. Um, but I used to go with him, but I used to go because I used to, like, my dad would pay me child labor law type stuff, you know, but, <laughs> but he would let me do the easy stuff, and I didn't care because I just wanted to be with my dad and spend the summer with my dad. So I didn't care what I did. You know, he would, he would you know, help me do, taught me how to do things. But I remember one time, um, this was a church that had like a second story, like a balcony. It was a huge, huge uh, Reformed Church of America, huge. I'm talking ginormous, okay? They had, wall, they had windows that would open up, and cars would drive up and tune in on the radio and listen to this pastor. This is big, okay, in Hawaiian gardens. And, and so I remember one time my dad had a carry, I don't even know what it was. It was some sort of cabinet upstairs, right? And I'm like, I was little. I was like, you know, I can't help. So I'm like, well, I can help you, Daddy. He goes, no, no, no. I got this. He didn't say it like that. And he, he made this contraption where he was trying to explain to me at a very young age that if you leverage the weight correctly, you can get it up all the way by yourself. And I remember sitting there watching my dad go up these 30 steps, you know, 30 stairs, going all the way up with this contraption that he made out of rope. He put it over his shoulders. I was like, I still remember this like it was yesterday. And he walked the way, all the way up. And I was like, man. And my dad would always say in Spanish, um, um, tienes que tener maña. You have to have will. It's not about the strength. It's not about the size of the thing. If you have the will, you will find a way to do it. My dad also has back problems now because he did everything by himself. <laughs> the point I'm making, it's always easier when you have help. It's always easier when you bear one another's burdens and you come under the weight that is crushing somebody. When you come under the weight and help them, it's always easier for them. Now, it may still be heavy, and it may still be painful, and it may still hurt, but if you know that there's two or three of you together, you can bear it so much easier, right? When you're not alone, things are more bearable, which is why we read in, uh, in Scripture, for our Scripture reading, it says, well, not that one, this one, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall... One will lift up the other. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. To love others, for it to be a part of our church is we want to be like this. I have one more passage and one last thing to say. We use this all the time, and it's funny, we often use this in churches when I remember when we used to have prayer meeting in, in uh, El Centro and two or three people would literally show up. And they thought, well, where two or three are gathered, God is present there. It made us feel better. But the truth is, is um, if you call yourself a Christian, and I have a lot of friends who are Christians, wherever two or three of you are gathered, God is there present with you. It's not just about church. It's about when you sit over a table and have a meal with somebody, God is present there. I have people coming through the office during the week, some of my friends, some of the younger people of the church. By the way, young people spend a lot of time at church, <laughs> by the way. They hang out with me mostly, which is fine by me, but I think on any given day that I'm here, there is at least one or two young adults in my office, and we're just allowing God's presence to be here, okay? It's awesome. I love it. 
But the truth is, is that no matter where you are, not only can you bring the presence of God with you, but where two or three are gathered as Christians, as believers, God is present there, which means God is present in your homes. God is present at your work. God is present at the grocery store. God is present everywhere. And I think it's time that as a church we claim the promise and the reality that God is there. And so I want to finish with this very last thing, part of the vision of this church. The reason that we started doing small groups is because as a leader, as the pastor of this church, and as the elders of this church, it's important for us not just to teach from the front, but to actually create these experiences. So a small group is us intentionally creating space to learn to love one another. Small groups are very simply our intentional and simple way to get all of you, as many of you, connected to other people. That's it. In the process, we get to pray with each other. In the process, we get to learn about what God's purpose and call and intention is for your life. But the purpose of these small groups is for us to just meet and mingle and grow together, which is why you will probably hear me until the last day that I am here on this, on this stage. I will be championing and I will be encouraging and I will be challenging you to join a small group because small groups are amazing. And I'll, and I'll say this, and I'll say it to my small group members, there's only one or two of us here that are here today, um, there have been times where I go to, this, like, where a small group is kind of gearing up, and I go, and we have food at ours, so I often buy pizza, and, um, and I'm just like, yeah, I just don't want to go today, I'm tired. And it's only Monday, by the way. <laughs> but, but, you know, you're just like, ah, oh, man, I just, I don't really want to go. But then when I get, and I've shared that with them, so their feelings aren't going to be hurt, but then when I get there, it's just like there's like a, it's like a whole other world where all of a sudden, because we've been meeting week after week, talking about our struggles, talking about some of the things that are weighing us down, and after a while, it's just such an amazing and beautiful thing, and then, and then the willies can't get us out of their house because we just want to keep hanging out. And in our particular small group, there was a lady who used to be a member of my other church who moved up here for her kids and stuff, and she's become a part of our small group, and she's like, I go to this big church because that's where my kids go. But I just, I'm not connecting with people, and this group is helping me find these meaningful connections. Small groups. If you're looking to connect, if you're looking for your spiritual life to grow, you want to join one of these small groups because meaningful and powerful things happen there. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, God, we don't like it when you challenge us to we don't like it when a morning like this, we read scriptures in the Bible and you're just calling us to bless and not curse. And so for everyone who is here this morning, Lord, who, who is facing an, adverse, an adversary, for everyone who is here this morning who I know most of us at some point in our, in our, in our days and in our weeks face somebody who is just unkind and hurtful towards us, I want to pray for those, Lord, who are experiencing this right now, that you would help them to bless forgive, to love. Lord, I also pray that you give each one of them the wisdom they need to be able to handle these situations and that you would protect them. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's time for us to take up our tithes and our offerings this morning. and I'd like to invite the ladies to come on down at this time. I'd also like to thank the ladies for giving our deacon dads the weekend off and agreeing to pick up our offering. Thank you.
Let's pray. Father God, in your word, you have promised us that you will take care of our daily and our physical needs. And Father, you have been faithful. And this morning, Father, as we bring our tithes and our offerings, and as we express our gratitude and our praise to you, may we be found faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to invite you to, to grab your hymnals. <laughs> and the last song that we were inspired to go ahead and do today is actually called Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. So we talk about our, our Christian community and loving each other. So hymn number 350 in your hymnals. If you'll join me in singing. Please stand with us. Please stand. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Be
may be seated. Eternally grateful that you are our Heavenly Father. And God, for those who perhaps um, didn't have a father growing up, to the fatherless and to those who have been hurt by their fathers, may you bring peace and may you fill that void. And God, now as we have entered into your presence and as we have heard your word, we pray now that it would transform us and shape us with the power of your spirit as we leave this place and represent you wherever we go. In the name of Jesus, we pray.